Uh, Merry Christmas to you all. I, I will be at Bankstown tomorrow, so I won't be able to say Merry Christmas to you uh, tomorrow, so I'm going to say it in advance. Uh, now, hands up if you are the youngest sibling in your family. So you've got an all, you're the youngest, so you might have, yeah, quite a few of us are youngest. I'm the youngest of two. I have a big sister. Um, her name is Wendy. That's right, Peter Pan and Wendy. Um, <laughs> that's actually how we got our names. Um, and uh, I, I, one year, uh, I brought my sister a big Christmas present. Okay, I mean, look, I'm a little brother. Usually, I'm pretty neglectful. You know, she's lucky to get a card or something like that. But one year, I brought this present. It was like this big, wrapped beautifully. And I said, here, when Christmas. And she had this big smile on her face, and she's so surprised, like, wow, went above and beyond. And I said, open it, open it. And so she began to open it. And she opened the first layer of wrapping paper and ripped it open. And lo and behold, there was more wrapping paper. And so, you know, she thought maybe he just is being thorough. And I kind of nodded, yeah, I'm being thorough. And then she opened the next layer of wrapping paper and opened it and opened it and unwrapped it and another layer of wrapping paper. And this went on for about 10 minutes. Layer after layer of layer, layer, just wrapping paper. And right in the middle was the usual thing I give her, a card. Um, being a little brother, I thought that was the cleverest thing I ever did, you know, prank. Um, but it was just wrapping paper. Uh, I, I, I remember reading a few years ago um, that an ATM was raided around Christmas time. And uh, because it was Christmas time near the ATMs, was a Christmas tree. And you know what the uh, ATM thieves didn't do? They didn't take any of the presents under the Christmas tree. And you know why, right? It's the same reason my sister didn't appreciate the present. Because it was just all wrapping paper. Anything they put in the shops under those trees are basically just wrapping paper. There's nothing underneath them. Now, the reason why I mentioned that, my prank, as well as the ATM bandits, is this. Uh, when it comes to joy at Christmas, let's admit it, it can sometimes seem a little like wrapping paper and not much more. Right? Like it's pretty on the outside, but there's nothing in it. A reality check right now in the world will show us that there's very little joy at Christmas. I mean, you just have to look at what's happening in Gaza right now. I read a couple of weeks ago that a four-year-old child woke up in hospital and he was crying for his mom and dad, but of course they were dead. And so he woke up an orphan. But even more tragic than that, he woke up with no arms and legs. A four-year-old amputee woke up confused with no arms and legs, crying for mom and dad who he would never see again. I mean, that's tragic, isn't it? Uh, I also read that they've got a new acronym in Gaza amongst the doctors. The acronym is WCNSF, and it stands for Wounded Child No Surviving Parents, because there's so many of them now. They would just write WCNSF, Wounded Child No Surviving Parents. That's the reality of the world right now. There's not much joy, is there? But maybe you feel it as well. Uh, they say statistically that Christmas is actually the loneliest time of the year, it heightens loneliness. And if you've lost loved ones, it heightens loss. There are more people depressed at Christmas. 
Um, in recent years, there have been churches, and it's really great that they do this. They run, um, in addition to all their other Christmas celebrations, they run what's called a blue Christmas. It's Christmas services just to recognize that people are sad and depressed. And that's a great thing to recognize because people are. And those of us who have family gatherings, well, let's admit it, sometimes family gatherings can be a little bit like wrapping paper, isn't it? That it's just over the tensions and the actual brokenness and people in our extended families who actually hate each other's guts, but you know, once a year we'll get together and have ham. It's wrapping paper. It's sad. And so it's quite surprising, isn't it, that when you come to the Bible and today's topic, that there are so many reasons for joy, right? There's just an explosion of joy. And I, I want to actually delve into that a bit today um, because you've you got to look beneath the surface. Um, why is there so much joy in the first Christmas in the Bible? And I want to firstly suggest it's not because a baby has been born. Um, babies were generally not loved and adored like they are in our society. Um, it's not because this nativity scene that you see in you know, shopping centers is so cute, you know, the classic picture of Christmas. Um, it's actually pretty wrong. <laughs> you know, you've got this nice and comfy haste and, uh, and mom and dad and the baby, somehow the baby smiling as well. Um, in reality, it would have been anything but nice and comfy. They don't call it hay fever for nothing. Um, there's no running water to r- wash the baby afterwards. It's not sanitary at all. This is not the place you would choose to have a baby, right, in an animal uh, feeding trough. And in fact, there were lots more reasons for no joy if you actually understood the context. Um, if you were poor, if you were peasant, and if you were Jewish, which is all true of Jesus' parents, there were lots of reasons not to be joyful. I mean, it's bad enough being poor and peasant. It's much worse if your country happens to be overrun by the enemies. Um, we didn't read chapter 2, verse 1, but the kids talk kind of mention it. Why did they go to Bethlehem? Right? They didn't live in Bethlehem. They went to Bethlehem because there was a census commanded by the emperor of the day, Augustus Caesar. And of course, Caesar was a conquering enemy of the Jewish people. My fa- uh, grandfather, I, I, I was born in Taiwan. My family are from Taiwan. My grandfather spoke fluent Japanese. Now, why did my grandfather speak fluent Japanese? Well, it's because Taiwan was occupied by Japan for 50 years. Um, from the end of the 19th century until 1945. And so my grandfather, like a lot of people in his generation, grew up and they had to learn Japanese because it was a foreign-occupied country, right? There's not much joy when your whole land is occupied by someone else. There's not much joy when you're poor and you're a peasant. And so you've got to ask the question, well, why is there so much joy then? Why is there so much joy? Where can we find this joy? Because maybe if we find it in the pages of the first Christmas, we'll find it in our world too. So we need to read it more carefully. Now I want you to notice as we read it again, that this writer, Luke, who wrote, wrote about the first Christmas, puts together two really opposite ideas. There's both the grand, the really big and really great stuff, and the lowly the really small, insignificant, and not-so-great stuff. And he puts it all together in one account. So let's have a look again and see if you can notice both the grand and the lowly. Verse 8, And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. 
An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone all around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. Okay, do you notice both the grand and the lowly? The grand, of course, is the arrival of the Son of God as announced by angels, right? Now note the shepherd's fear uh, in Luke's account. We don't have time to read the other bits, but this is the third angelic announcement in these early chapters of Luke, and every single time there is fear for those who face the angels. Now why? Why? I mean, aren't angels beautiful and amazing, maybe like unicorns, you know? Well, that's a lot of our picture of angels. But in the Bible, when you think angels, when you read angels, don't think cute little cherubs. Um, In fact, the word there for heavenly host is army. All right, we're talking about army. We're talking about angelic warriors. No wonder they were afraid. Now, what kind of a news gets announced by an army of angels? Well, that's grand. But did you notice it's lowly? It's announced to who? Shepherds. In the ancient world, shepherds were way down the list of desirable jobs. Okay, it was badly paid, it was dirty, it was physical, it was dangerous. You know, when my kids were born, I'll tell you what I didn't do. I didn't wait till Monday morning rubbish day to announce it to our garbage truck drivers, right? I posted it up on Facebook. I told everyone I knew, but I didn't announce it to our very important garbage truck drivers. But even in our society, you know, they're on the lower end of jobs. And that was like, we're shepherds. So why would the grand announcement be announced to shepherds? Well, we'll come to that later. But I want to show you first that what is announced. And it's three things, a person, a promise, and a plan. So what's announced? A person, firstly. Uh, Three titles he's given, Savior, Messiah, and Lord. Let's look at them quickly each in turn. Uh, The word Savior means rescuer, okay? You know, when when we, sometimes when we hear the word Savior, we think, uh, you know, it's about God saving our souls and going to heaven. Um, for Jewish people in Jesus' day, they would not have thought of salvation as souls going to heaven primarily. They would have heard God is coming to deliver His people from all that's wrong in the world by coming with a new world order. That's what they would have thought. Right? God is delivering His people in this world by bringing in a new world order. That's the rescue. And that's why the next important name of this person is Messiah, or older translations, Christ. The word means king, right? Now, we don't like the idea of a monarchy. We live in a democracy. But let's admit it, democracy can be inefficient and unjust. In an ideal situation, we would have an all-good, all-powerful, all-knowing king. And that's certainly what the Jewish people longed for. A king who would bring God's kingdom or God's new world order. And no one can do that, of course, except the Lord. Right? That's the third one. Savior, Messiah, Lord. Uh, For Roman people, remember they were the occupiers of the day. 
Lord is what they call Caesar. And so for this announcement to proclaim Lord, it was a rival Caesar, right? A rival king. But of course, for Jews, it's even more significant because Lord in the Old Testament is God. How grand indeed. Savior, Messiah, and God. But again, remember, grand and lowly. God comes to the lowly. God comes to identify with the weak. He comes as a baby in a feeding trough for animals. And so you see, this announcement has the highest highs and the lowest lows. God is coming to you, world. God is coming to you, but he's coming as a baby in an animal barn. And that's important to to sit with, both the grand and the lowly. That this is the context in which God comes to the world. Because it says something about God's mission, doesn't it? It says something about who it's for and who it isn't for. You see, if you are self-righteous and religious and you think you're basically okay with God, well, it's not for you. But if you are feeling weak and guilt-ridden or you're in pain or you're in sin and you need healing, then good news because it's exactly for people like you. So that's the person. What about the promise? Well, remember, verse 14, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. The promise is peace. And I know we looked at that last week. Now, here's the thing, though. Um, Remember the uh, emperor of the day, the ruler of the day, the lord of that day was Augustus Caesar, arguably the greatest Caesar, right? His reign was known for its peace. It was called the Pax Romana. You've heard of that term, Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. But you need to know the peace of Rome was enforced with brutality, right? Lots of people killed for the peace of Rome. But here we see the real prince of peace. In fact, a Roman first century philosopher, not a Christian, wrote this. He said, while Caesar may give peace from war on land and sea, he is unable to give peace from passion, grief and envy. He cannot give peace of heart for which man yearns for more than even outward peace. You see, when the announcement is that there would be peace from God... We're not just talking about the absence of war. We're talking about the biblical idea of peace. It's the Hebrew word shalom, which means wholeness and healing at the deepest level so that you wouldn't even think about war. It's healing and wholeness from the inside out. Shalom. That's what the promise is of what this person will bring. And then last P, the plan. What's the plan? Well, the plan is, and this is important for us to remember at Christmas, Because often I think we think about Christmas with Jesus in the manger as a baby who never grows up, right? I think the world is pretty comfortable with a Jesus who never grows up. But the plan is that baby Jesus would become the man Jesus. That's important. And he would become a man in order that he might fulfill God's rescue plan as king. And he would do that by dying on the cross and rising again. Now, if you were here on Carol's night... You remember I um, talked about in 2018, there was a, a group of, um, of high school kids, uh, soccer 
team, 12 of them got stuck in a cave in Thailand and had to be rescued um, one by one when the cave flooded. Um, I won't go through the whole story again, um, but you'll remember how that was just such an incredibly, almost miraculous rescue because it, it was almost impossible for, for them to have been found and then survive the rescue, except that people had to go in one after the other for them and rescue them one by one. Now, what I didn't tell you is that in 2018, even though all 12 members plus their coach survived, two rescuers lost their lives. One of them drowned, right, trying to get some air tanks in. Another one uh, came out but was unconscious and died a few days later. Right? In the midst of this rescue, two men had to give their lives so that the 13 could be saved. And that's a little bit of a picture of Christmas. Because we needed rescue. Now, not a cave, but far worse than that, stuck in sin and its consequences. And just like the Thai cave rescue, this was going to come at a great cost. God became a man in Jesus so that he could die in our place on the cross because that's how much our sin mattered. He would have to bear our punishment. He rose again to give new life three days later so that those who trust in him might be brought into relationship with God. He will come back again to make all things new. All right? This is the message of Christmas, a massive rescue plan that cost the life of God's own son. And so let's come back to joy. What does Christmas mean for you? Do you want real joy at Christmas? Because you've got to inhabit the story, what we've just talked about. You've got to understand those reasons, the person, the promise, the plan, to really understand how to get joy at Christmas. Because other reasons for Christmas don't really bring joy, do they? They're like wrapping paper. You chuck them out afterwards. Maybe for you, Christmas gives you a little bit of joy because of presents. But let's admit it, presents generally just mean accumulated junk. Hands up if you've got a bread maker at home that you never use. Oh, there's only one. Wow. <laughs> only like, maybe it was too old, like 20 years ago, everyone was giving bread makers. And almost every household got a bread maker at some stage that they never use. Um, food. Maybe food gives you joy at Christmas. Well... You know, you just feel guilty afterwards and have to go on diets and all that kind of stuff. Or family gatherings, maybe that gives you joy at Christmas, and that's maybe great for you, but let's admit it, for a lot of people, it's quite painful, or it's at least a hassle. And so those reasons for joy at Christmas, if that's all you've got, is not really lasting joy. See, I want to suggest to you Christmas is joyful and Christianity is a lifestyle of joy, not because we ignore the pain, not because we wrapping paper over all the realities of this world. It's actually in the midst of pain that we are joyful. Now, there are lots of famous uh, paintings and artwork about the first Christmas, the nativity scene, you know, Mary with baby Jesus, and it's usually, as I said, peaceful and wonderful. But I reckon the most powerful one is this one, this painting called Massacre of the Innocents, probably the most meaningful and real Christmas painting I've seen. 
Because this is actually the world that Jesus came into. Um, this is depicting the first Christmas, which involved very shortly after we, the, the bits that we read in Luke, involved the slaughter of innocent baby boys by a cruel and tyrannical king known as Herod. And this is depicting that, a mother and her baby son hiding in rubble from death and destruction. Which again, given what's happening in Gaza and Ukraine, that, that's so much our world, isn't it? That's so real. And I want to suggest to you that actually shows what the first Christmas is really about. The coming of the Christ, right, came in the midst of this kind of world back in his day and in ours. And the reason why we can have joy is because the coming of the Christ into a world like this would set in train a revolution of love and justice that will one day sweep away all tyrants and free all victims and end all wars. Do you believe that? It's not in spite of the world. It's not to paper wrap over the world, but into this world. A real savior, a real rescue plan, a real promise of peace. And if you understand that, then you'll experience real joy. So, what now for those who've received the news? Well, it's maybe helpful to look at what the shepherds did. How did the shepherds respond to the news? Well, verse 15, when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. Right? The shepherds are like, well, we've heard the news. I want to see for myself. And that would be a great response for you. Maybe this Christmas is a reminder that you need to see for yourself. Maybe you've been invited here because of a friend, a family member, a neighbor. But for you, you're not really sure yet. Well, if that's you, then let me encourage you, maybe in the coming year as a New Year's resolution, 2024, to see for yourself. Come meet Jesus in the pages of the Bible. Right? Come back to church. Ask the friend or family member who brought you. Are you interested in reading the Bible with someone? We'd love to be able to tee that up. See for yourself. Investigate more. But for those who have seen, and I think I'm talking to the majority here, who do follow Jesus, look at verse 16. What else do they do? So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. All right? The two things they did, they went to see for themselves. And then secondly, they spread the word. They talked about it. And so if you are already a follower of Jesus, let me encourage you to talk about it. Talk about how Christmas is meaningful to you. Use tomorrow as an opportunity to invite people to come along. And for those of you who um, have Mandarin-speaking family and friends and neighbors, right, our bilingual service, we only do them twice a year. They're really great opportunities to come with someone and they can hear the message alongside you in their heart language. How special is that? But I also want to give you some tips uh, on spreading the word, uh, just because we have a little bit of time. Do we have time? Oh, yeah, it's only 12 o'clock. Because um, you might find it helpful. I mean, generally, I, I don't know if you've noticed this, on Tuesday nights, Karen and I try and have our date night, and we often go to Hurstville. And uh, every Tuesday night, I don't know if it happens every other night, but on Tuesday night, there's always a, a group of 
uh, a church group, I, I presume, um, standing on the street corner outside of Gongcha um, doing uh, public preaching. Have, have you seen them? Right? Telling people to repent. And look, I, I haven't checked them out, um, but if they're genuine, good on them. But let's admit it, that's generally not the way that most people are going to respond to the message of Jesus. The majority of people are going to respond to the message of Jesus is through personal relationships. In fact, they did a survey uh, in the last um, church life survey that 60% of Australians would come to church if a friend invited them. You got that? 60%, right? Three out of five of your friends would come to church if you invited them. That's how it's mainly going to come, by you saying, I'd like, to, I'd like to introduce you to someone so you can see for yourself. Now, here's the thing, though. It, it, generally, those relationships aren't going to be working from you know, complete strangers or just acquaintances all the way to accepting an invitation. So I want to show you something that I found helpful, and that is how to move our conversations so that when we do invite someone to investigate or discover all the way on the right, that they're more likely to want to. And it's about our conversations. You see, um, I think we know what it's like to have casual conversations, right? Casual conversations is when someone talks about their interests and opinions, Um, right? But if you're only stuck on casual conversations with someone, uh, generally they're going to find it really jarring for you to say, hey, now come to church with me or read the Bible with me. Uh, But if we can move them along to the right and we want to get our conversations with someone to go to meaningful and meaningful conversations, start to explore their personal stories and what they're passionate about, okay? Stuff that you're willing to put on the line and if someone says, yeah, that's dumb, you'll get offended about, all right? Opinions and uh, interests, people generally don't really care. But meaningful conversations, their personal stories and passions. But then you can go a step further And you can then uh, have spiritual conversations with someone. And by spiritual conversations, what we don't mean is Christian conversations, okay? You don't have to talk about the God of the Bible or Jesus. But we're talking about spirituality-related questions. And that includes values, right? It can be secular values like justice um, and equality. That's a spiritual conversation. And of course, faith. And the majority of Australians are not atheists. They're spiritual, or they're of another religion in, in the southwest of Sydney, right? They're more likely to be Muslim uh, or Catholic or Hindu, right? So, talking about spiritual conversations. Now, if, when you've reached that point of having conversations on a spiritual level, you're only one step away uh, from having a discovery conversation, and that is inviting someone to discover for themselves. Would you be interested in coming to church with me or hey, you know what, I'm looking for someone to read the Bible with me. I wonder if you'd be interested, right? Uh, A lot of the times we try the street corner thing or the stranger thing or we try and jump from casual all the way to discovery. But I hope you see what we can do and how do you, sorry, this is for another time, but how you move between them is by being really genuinely caring and curious. You got that? Care and curiosity. Be interested in people. Ask them questions. Questions often will lead someone from casual to meaningful to spiritual, and then you can ask the question of discovery. So have a go at that. Have a think about um, the relationships you've got with with the people um, that you want to hear about Jesus and and see for themselves, and and think about who, who am I on a casual conversation category with, who am I in a meaningful, who am I in the spiritual, and 
and those who are in the spiritual, can I take that extra step of courage and ask them? The worst they can do is say no, all right? Another hint before I, um, before I pray, and uh, in fact, I'll get the band up because we'll get ready to sing. Um, often we think that we've moved along these conversations because we've gone from a casual conversation to a meaningful to a spiritual. Uh, the key with this is it's not indicated by where you are, it's indicated by where they are. You got that? This is a big discovery for me because there'll be people, I'm a pastor, right? So half of my conversations are spiritual just by default. You know, what do you do? I'm a pastor. What does that involve? Talk to people about Jesus. All right, I'm having a spiritual conversation. No. Are they talking to me about spiritual things? That's when I know they've moved. Do you see what I mean? You can talk all you like about meaningful and, and uh, spiritual stuff, but if they're still stuck on, hey, yeah, the footy was kind of boring, us, yeah, they're still in casual. So you, you want to be involved in someone's life enough, ask them the questions, be curious enough that they have moved along from a casual relationship to a meaningful one to a spiritual one. Then you know that you can move them along to a discovery one. More of that another time, uh, but we're going to get ready to sing. Uh, let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus. And we pray that whether we are those who need to see for ourselves or those who want to invite others to discover and see for themselves, that this Christmas we will not let opportunities pass. Because this is a message of great joy, a joy that comes not in spite of the messy world we live in, but of the joy that comes precisely in the messy world we live in. That you've come to be the rescuer, to bring real peace, to grow up and die in our place, rise again and come again, to rule in a new world order. Our world needs you, Lord. We need you. And we are so grateful for you this Christmas. Amen.